to the Opening Doors podcast, where we engage in conversation conversation with musical theater creators and enthusiasts. Uh, I'm your host, Meredith Shedden, and today we are joined by a wonderful, multi-hyphenated human being. Um, he is a performer, composer, playwright, screenwriter, and most importantly to me, he's one of my teachers. Uh, please welcome Nick Playmeyer. Hi, everybody. Hi, Nick. So, Hi, Meredith. Um, <laughs> So we met at the Performing Arts Project last summer. We did indeed. Um, and you were doing master classes. And did you do a? And did you end up doing any uh, research and development projects there too? I did. I did a, a voiceover research and development um, piece that was it was a it was a class on sort of how to use your voice to create a character. And if you closed your eyes, could you see? Uh, could you see the character or could the audience see the character? And so I wrote an animated piece um, that had a very mature subject matter. Um, it was called Fart Man. Yes. And uh, we wrote uh, music for it. We scored the whole thing. And we had the audience listen to it or watch it with their eyes closed. So not watch it. Um, and uh, it was a cast of seven girls. And they played like 20 parts, yeah. uh, male and female, and it was a blast. And it was, you know, a thing about the Performing Arts Project that I love is that, you know, taking out the idea of it being a product actually got us to this incredibly brave place where we were like, okay, well, just try it this way, and if it doesn't go well in the first performance, then we'll try it again in some, you know, drastically different way in the second performance. And, uh, and it ended up getting us sort of out of ourselves in a way that when you have that sort of final dot or that bullseye to hit, you inevitably feel in relationship to the bullseye as opposed to in relationship to yourself and your expression. Um, so I really appreciate that about, about TPAP and, and the R&Ds. What did you do? Uh, oh, gosh. Well, I did lots of R&Ds. Oh, sure um, you did. Were, were you there for five weeks? No, I was there for three weeks. Okay. Um, Not to uh, interrupt, but maybe you could tell our listeners uh, what uh, TPAP is. Yeah, so to uh, explain a bit more about what TPAP is, so the Performing Arts Project is uh, this musical theater intensive in North Carolina that runs for, it runs for five weeks. Um, the first two weeks are only for high school age students, and then uh, the last three weeks, uh, people who are in... Uh, college and even uh, beyond that come to join and um, basically you work 12 hour 13 hour days doing workshops and master classes and then in the evening uh, you do these projects called research and development um, projects and uh, you get to work with the teachers on a more of a, a creative basis where you're actually working uh, towards not de not a performance because that that's the one uh, thing we don't want to be thinking about because we want it to feel like we're we can make mistakes. But it's it's um, a bit more it's a bit more formalized. You're sort of yeah. after a, a a collective thing as opposed to in class where where yeah, we're sort where of you're like just, just try stuff. Yeah, you're 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 trying to create something together. I think together, is the big yeah. thing too is that you know there's a lot of individual work being done in, in class and then. You know, watching, I was, uh, when I showed up here, the, the first thing I showed you was that video that I still have on um, my phone of you doing one of the R&Ds that I loved so much that was like a 20-minute comedy piece. And it was so about the way that you guys played off each other and sort of worked as technicians as well as artists 
to create a thing that is still has a beginning, middle, and end, and still, you know, on some level could be performed uh, with a product orientation. But because it's not, you end up getting to approach it with less pressure. It's freedom. Yeah. More about the process. Yeah. Pro- it, it's That place is, it could be called the process project. I mean, it yeah. really is <laughs> so process forward. And sort of the big thing that... Um, the head of it, uh, Jonathan Bernstein, who I love, super talented writer and, and teacher and uh, and man, he talks about failing forward and the idea of being okay with uh, with being imperfect and sort of taking the perfectionism not out of it, but uh, trying trying to trying to be perfect is not actually trying to do the thing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so you're, so you, um, you're, what did you call it? Like a radio play or a radio play? Yeah. A radio play. Yeah. yeah. And you, had you written one before or was that just a new? No, I'd actually been approached about writing an animated TV, TV show. And so I was writing it anyway. And, uh, it was for, uh, this company called Frederator that, um, has done a bunch of really interesting sort of offbeat cartoons and I really wanted them to, um, to pick it up. They ended up not picking it up, but, um, it's, that's, that's the life. Uh, but, uh, but I was approached by Jonathan about doing a, an R and D and I was like, well, what could I do? You know, maybe we could put together, uh, take a song and rearrange it. Um, we could think about writing something new. And then I started looking around at what the other teachers were doing and it felt like everyone was sort of covering a lot of the things that I was having instincts to do. And then I realized it was right in front of me. I was literally slipping away between class to go to Starbucks and try to finish the pilot. And I was like, I'm spending all this time looking at these characters and I'm starting to, you know, to think about them through the lens of the students that I'm with, because it's in many ways for this audience you know, for like the 17 year old, 18 year old sense of humor. Um, and so I just sort of posed it like, was that, would that be something that we could do? You know, could we, could we read a pilot? And then in the process of thinking about that, it wasn't just reading a pilot. It was reading an animated pilot without the animation. So what's special about, um, about animation and, uh, and the people who voice them is that is how much work they have to do to sort of paint in the crevices that the drawing doesn't, you know, complete. Um, and there are so many incredible voice actors and I'm such a family guy and Simpsons fan and, um, and Batman, the animated series when I was younger. And so it was sort of like a dream come true for me to be in the room with these incredible actors, all of whom had never done voice work and all had wondered about it. And so we sort of fell into this really interesting bunch of conversations about how do you characterize someone through your voice and how do you sort of, uh, give the audience what they need to know without, you know, sort of overacting and, and over uh, sort of pushing past the place of reality while also knowing that you're, you know, it's not Chekhov, it's a different kind of style. Um, and we ended up just coming up with so much that actually made the writing of the pilot better. I did a lot of rewrites on the pilot uh, because of the collaboration in the room. And I told the group that if we got on the air, there would be, you know, jobs coming their way. <laughs> um, so I was hoping that for them, but, uh, uh, ultimately it just was, ended up being great research and development. Yeah. That, I loved it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Thank you. And you were writing that having just come out of SpongeBob the musical. I, I had as an actor. Yeah. 
Yeah, so was that was there anything in doing that that kind of helped out? I guess so. Yeah, I didn't I don't think I've ever uh put that together. But you're totally right, of course. I mean, I was spending so much time in Chicago at the Oriental Theater in this massive 2200 uh seat space with some of my favorite artists in the whole world, Tina Landau, uh who directed it. Um it she was involved in one of my favorite shows ever, which is Floyd Collins, which is an oh, Adam Gettle show. She yes. wrote the book to that and directed it. And she also created Viewpoints, which is uh, a, a movement style and sort of an acting technique that has to do with your spatial relationship on stage and power positions and creating shapes to sort of help underline what your character wants or uh, is, is trying to paint for the audience. And so she used these very sort of downtown techniques to come at a big splashy animated show like Spongebob and turn it into a live piece that felt organic and sort of uh, fought the pandery instincts that a lot of big corporate musicals have. And I would never have done it if it weren't for her and for Kyle Jaro, who um, wrote the book, who is also just one of my favorite writers. We collaborate a lot together actually and met uh, as writers on that piece um, and he approached the material in such a smart way too, because it was sort of, there's just, there's just a version of any big property being adapted that can be cynical and that can be, you know, sort of like, well, what's the easiest cash grab here? And, you know, uh, children are stupid and we're going to give them something that is one dimensional. And there was such a respect for the sort of the mind of the child and, and the idea that we had to get into that mind of that child in order to do something that they would actually buy. Um, and Kyle ended up finding a way to lace in a lot of themes that are really important to me, global warming and racism and police brutality. And so he found these, you know, kind of heavy, uh, themes, a way to talk about them in a, a really palatable way through these wide eyed characters who were discovering them for the first time. And so I guess, I guess, the long answer is, yeah, I, I, I left I left Chicago thinking so much about everything I just said and then getting to TPAP and sort of having to uh, fail forward and try something new myself. Um, I ended up being able, able to integrate a lot of the, the things I was learning into a new uh, venue, which is sort of my favorite thing to do, is sort of how you take what just happened to you into what's about to happen to you or what you are about to do to whatever's next. I love it. (laughs) Um, So then uh, recently you closed Tick, Tick, Boom off Broadway. You did. Um, And uh, we know that that show is about a wonderful uh, composer, writer, creator, uh, Jonathan Larson. And you are also a wonderful composer, creator, performer. Oh, thank you. And you uh, have written a musical called A Little More Alive. I have, yeah. Um, and to that, like, having also been a performer and writer, did that help in uh, performing in Tip Tip Boom? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's why I got the part. I actually got the part when I was in North Carolina with you. Um, I was standing outside the hotel and got uh, a call that this relatively small theater company, the Keen Company, that does incredible work, really heart-driven, um, 
stuff and really, really smartly minimalistic theater has, has started doing musicals and um, would I want to come play this part? And I was like, this feels too good to be true because I, I owe my multi-hyphenate life to Jonathan Larson. I mean, I, I met Rent when I was in seventh grade and memorized it and my brain was exploded by it. I mean, I, I feel like I understood because of him what, what theater could be and what, how theater could be something that was in my language and not in this sort of lofty, archaic 1940s version um, but immediate and dangerous and, and, and scrappy. Um, and so I started writing music pretty soon after that and trying to figure out, you know, if I was going to be in rent or <laughs> write the next rent, um, or and, do both. Yeah. Or, or <laughs> do both. And, and I, I guess I, I'm still after that same goal, you know, however many years later. Um, and so when I got asked to do it, it, it I was totally, Shock, and then I started thinking about it, and sort of realizing how much I had been thinking about the thing, the themes that make up Tick Tick Boom, which is very much about really a, a young songwriter turning thirty and feeling ineffectual and feeling like he's not going to get where he wants to go, both in his career and in his artistic, you know, uh, his his goals to connect to human life, and that's a thing that I totally feel I'm 32 um, and I'm still sort of trying to figure out how to connect all of my dreams into a, an actionable thing that that gives the audience the same high that it gave me to write um, which is which is hard across that fourth wall and so it became this uh, sudden I suddenly had a use for all those thoughts um, and uh, a way to get to sort of thank Jonathan for everything that he gave me um, which was something that I actually had to sort of forget midway through the process because I was, the director turned to me about week two um, and he was like, I just feel like you're too nice. It's just too mm-hmm. respectful. Like this guy is pissed off. It's a really angry show. I mean, it's, he's really, uh, it was a one man show that he wrote in 1990 and, uh, and he was, he was influenced by Eric Bogosian and all these one man shows that were being written during that time. And they're all like really pissed about, mm-hmm. about the state of things and sort of the, how hard it is to make a mark. And so accessing that anxiety and that anger is something that I've actually been, you know, as I get older, trying to control better. Um, but I really had to unlock it, um, and go back to it in, in doing the show, which was, uh, more difficult than I expected. Um, it wasn't as, as, you know, acting can be really fun and is, and Tick Tick Boom was one of the best, if not the best artistic experiences of my life. But my wife says this to me all the time, um, that your body doesn't know that you're acting. Um, and that when you're doing something hard, like crying and screaming and running around and beating your chest, uh, that, your body thinks something's wrong. Um, and so I got, I got, um, I had to do a, a lot of self care during that time, wow. just sort of live, um, live well and take care of myself so I can go do this thing for an hour and a half a night and give it everything that, you know, all my 32 years wanted to give it. 
Um, and then Donald Trump became president uh, during the yes. during the run of the show. Or you know, I came to see the show, and that was the night yeah. that it got canceled. And oh, right. um, Blake Crawford and I, Blake and I were, had both come together, and uh, fellow Canucks. Yes, and we um, we got on a bus the night before election day. Ugh. It was crazy pants. It was crazy pants. It was crazy pants. It's especially crazy because Tick, Tick, Boom, when it was originally done with Raul Esparza and uh, Amy Spanger in 2001, the run was bifurcated by 9-11. And wow. so uh, they had this really glorious kind of first half of the run, and then suddenly they were completely in reaction to what had just occurred. And it's a show that is very much about the change in New York and, and obviously he was um, Tick Tick Boom was five years before Rent came along and so in a lot of ways you're, you know when you're watching Jonathan and Tick Tick Boom that like this is a guy who's going to be okay he's going to write this show but then he's going to die at yeah. 35 so he's not going to be okay um, and, uh, and so there's a real you know sort of like bottom to the show that is invisible and sort of you know an, an echo um, and it was very strange that almost to the day our run was bifurcated by the election. And the night uh, of the election, we you know, sang the closing number, which is this really rousing song about action speaking louder than words. And uh, you know, what does it take uh, to wake up a generation? And all these amazing lyrics about things that I was hearing through the lens of Hillary Clinton. And being like, yeah, we're going to do it tonight. And then, you know, having the strangest night, uh, certainly in, in my life um, and many of our lives. And then having to do the show, same show, next night, I totally know. refracted through a new lens. And so that was very interesting. I'm sorry you didn't get to see it. I mean, it was a very strange uh, strange thing. Our, we, 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 like, fully... Um, we fully went down as a cast. We were all like, oh, okay, this hurts. Yeah, definitely. And so you started writing, you started getting into writing when you were in middle school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So did you have any, like, really funny things that you wrote that are really embarrassing? Uh, most, <laughs> to this day still. Um, yeah, yeah. I wrote a song about my um, the death of my favorite pair of jeans. Oh, a funeral that I gave to my jeans because um, I had this one I was just like a very awkward kid and couldn't find anything to fit me and I had this one pair that made me feel cool and then you know a hole got created in the crotch over many swipes of legs against legs and um, <laughs> and uh, I just felt like I was losing my cool very I literally. know that feeling you know? all too well you know what I mean yes it's I so do. real yes it's so real so I, uh, yeah, so I, I tried to encapsulate that in song and sort of didn't. Um, I wrote a lot of songs about girls who either never heard them or didn't like them. Um, but I definitely, I mean, you know, it, going back to the, the process thing that you brought up earlier about TPAP, it became much more about the act of doing it. Yeah. And I just loved writing songs and I loved being alone and, and thinking that way and feeling like I was bottling something. And then the actual, the, the act of showing it to somebody else was very scary and sort of, you know, 
potentially invalidating of the whole experience. Makes it a product. Yeah. When you show someone else. Boom. Yeah. So um, that was hard. But like the just just what you said, just writing it, even if you're writing about the death of your genes. Like I when I was in middle school I wrote a song about um gummy bears. That's the one I remember the most. Marching here and there and everywhere. Uh, no, not at all. It's just about them, like, how good they tasted, how much I loved gummy bears. I talked about all the different colors. Oh, my God, I want to hear that. There's a whole song. Um, <laughs> the, I'll give you a little, little snippet of it. Yeah, one. please. <laughs> it opened on, gummy bears, gu-gu-gummy bears, mmm, so fruity. That's how, that's the first line. That's incredibly catchy. Oh, thank you. Someone's going to hear this podcast and be like... Gummy Bears needs an anthem. <laughs> it was the just the basic four chord pop song. Hey, but, uh, that, it works. that's worked. That's worked for quite some time. It yeah, has, yeah. And the gut, gut, gut. It's really good. Oh, thank you. Really, really, really <laughs> nice work. That's all I care about in life. Yeah, exactly. Gummy yeah, Bears. Exactly. Gu, 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 I think I, I performed it only for my parents at the end of the year. Like, so my guitar teacher was like a solo guitar class, mm-hmm. and. Um, I performed at the end, and, and I like had gummy bears there for the performance. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> enough. <laughs> um, so, so you've written a little more life. There mm-hmm. was a stage production of it last mm-hmm. year in mm-hmm. Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, and then two and years ago. Yeah. Two years ago. Sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I'm thinking 2015 is one year ago. Yeah, it's not. It's forever either 2015 or 2016 or 1998. Yeah, that's it. That's when I was born. Hey, that's why. Um, So, and now it's being made into a film. Yeah, we're hoping so. Hoping so. Yeah, we we uh, we have a director um, who is great. His name is Ross Katz, and he produced um, one of my favorite movies, Lost in Translation. And uh, another movie that I think is amazing called In the Bedroom. And is very much the right guy for the, the tone of the movie, which is, is about a family and, and takes place in this, in this house after the matriarch dies. Um, and the uh, two sons sort of are going through her stuff in their old home movies and start seeing this guy who is in the, ba- in the background of a lot of pictures and a lot of uh, clips and they realized that this guy had been having an affair with their mother over the course of their entire life. Wow. Um, and so they decided to go find him. Um, and, uh, and the movie is just, it's very much like, I, I'm really a big fan of, um, Ken Flanagan and Gus Van Sant and, um, and sort of that tone, uh, you know, sort of a quiet lo-fi, uh, indie, um, feel. And yet it is a musical. And so that's the thing that's always really interested me is the idea of chamber musicals on film because, you know, we have La La Land and that's big and splashy and colorful. But to me, music is kind of an x-ray machine to kind of find out what people are really feeling. Um, and it's especially true when people are lying. And so it became a really interesting thing uh, to sort of try to map that fulcrum of, of, you know, concealing and revealing the truth and revealing the truth in spite of yourself. So, you know, what you say in the scenes is then going to be potentially invalidated by what you sing in the song. Um, and how we could do that in an interesting way on film became, you know, a big 
and kind of has always been a thing that I've really wanted to do. So I'm knocking on wood all the time uh, that it, it works out and it actually happens. We're basically right now trying to find a cast that, um, that makes the budget worth spending. Um, but we have uh, the financing and, um, and I've had some great meetings with Ross about the script and, and the screenplay is written and the score is written. So it's really now just about like schedule and, and who. Um, but I love the world of film. I've always loved it. In many ways, I sort of found love for that before I found theater. Um, and so it's been an interesting thing to, uh, to sort of realize as I've, I've spent the last decade plus doing theater and I'm now spending a lot more time thinking about the screen. Um, and I love that. Like, I think they're both, it, it's really in a lot of ways, they're complementary disciplines. You know, there's not one that's better, but there's definitely things that film can do that theater can't and vice versa. Um, we, we want to, you know, do stuff like, show the home movies on the wall of the house while someone is walking by and doesn't see them and how we can play with uh, showing memory and sort of musicalizing what memory feels like um, and memories that you're not exactly sure what you remember and what's different between two people. And um, there's a lot of stuff that we're, that we're after that was hard to do on stage um, and that will probably be hard to do in a movie too, but uh, the movie that I see in my head is in many ways the version of the story that I think I was always trying to write. Um, and so it's really, it's really been cool to, um, to get to think about it. It allows for a lot more, um, specificity, I think, when hmm. you're, when you're creating, right? You can yeah. kind of make it exactly what you want it to be instead of having the limitations of the theater. Totally. Um, no one can wreck it when you die. <laughs> True, right, unless that's they exactly recut it. How you want it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Uh, I'm hoping that someone comes in and adds uh, uh, special effects like George Lucas did to to Star Wars after my 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 death, and they can make the uh, a little more alive version in space. In space. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a little bit of a uh, little bit of blow up in it. Too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, blow God, up, blow out the conversation. That kind of. Yeah. What's this thing we notice? We have. Um, um, you know, um, stories we tell. The, oh God, I love that movie, yeah, Sarah Polly. Yeah, when he says Super Eight too. Thought, yeah, you know. Super Eight and, and um, capturing the Freedmen's documentary. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was a tough movie. Yeah, um, it, yeah, it really is. Like, there is definitely a zeitgeist in there. The memory movie and and the family drama, obviously, kitchen sink. And a lot of the way we've been talking about it is that it's sort of a kitchen sink drama meets ghost story meets rock show mm-hmm. yeah. and so that it lives in uh, it's a, it's definitely a haunted house um but it's a you know it's a, a modern house um that's haunted by the ghost of, of somebody that they didn't know existed um as well as their mother and the idea of the empty chairs and um and the shadows in the wall and, and how how we you know our mind plays tricks in us in a way that always feels rooted in some truth. You know, when you have a dream about something and you wake up and you're like, what was that about? The reason there are dream books is because there's, there's something, there was something that happened to you or that you think is going to happen or that may well be a premonition uh, that's, that's connecting back to whatever you saw when you were, you know, when your conscious mind wasn't on. Um, and that actually also relates pretty well to what it takes to, to make things, you know, going, I, I'm, 
I'll pose this to you because you're a creator as well. You know, what, what do you do about, um, your third eye, you know, what do you do about, and we talked about this in, in class a little bit, but like, what do you do about, um, watching yourself when you're trying to be funny or when you're trying to get to, uh, the bottom of a scene, how do you deal with, you know, your right brain versus your left brain? Yeah. How do you do that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, I mean, I'm still learning, but, um, same. I feel like, um, I just, there's a way to just like turn it off. I think, I think there is a way. I think there is yeah. a way. I think that it's like for like a second, right? It's yeah. like almost like, Cause it's not perfect, but I, um, especially in talking about, um, the sketch comedy, uh, research and development that I did, um, that was, I think, a learning experience for me because I don't really do comedy a lot. I'm generally like, I just play like the nice girl. And, and yeah. And so that was... You brought the house down. Oh. I mean, you had like, will you please explain your part? Because it's, I, I, I'll butcher it, but it was really, uh, it was like the linchpin. I'm trying to remember. Her name is Hildegard. 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 And, yeah, Hildegard. And, and so basically, uh... She was a kindergarten student mm -hmm. who um, was always called on in class. And um, every time the teacher would ask her the answer to a question, she would answer it correctly but with the wrong answer. So I was trying to think like... Uh, it was like you'd answer it literally sometimes when she meant something figuratively or opposite in the next scene. Yeah, and like I can't think of any any of the jokes right now. Oh god, they were just genius. It was it was so simple, but you played the reality of the scene so fully. That's a big thing to me is the commitment. I feel like what um what Neil was telling us when we did that was the teacher who yes, constructed the piece. Um was that comedy's only funny if you believe it. Like if you if you don't think you're that's, being funny. That's great. So that um, your character is like totally just living in real life. Yeah. And it, the reason one of the reasons it's funny is that they don't think it's funny. Mm -hmm. And isn't that the same as <clears throat> getting rid of the third eye? Yeah, right. I think so. Totally. Because you're not watching yourself thinking I'm doing a funny thing. You have to like just believe that this is normal. Yeah. You know, I had an audition before coming here uh, at Lincoln Center, and the sides were for a new play that's basically about uh, junk bonds in the 80s, and it's, you know, pretty dry stuff to a certain degree. It's very banter-heavy, a lot about money and deals, and I was playing... Uh, I was auditioning for an agent who was recording a conversation with uh, a potentially um, illegal act that this guy was describing to me at the end of the phone. And it said that the agent that I was playing was in over his head and that uh, my superior was in the room listening to me have this conversation. And there was only, there was only four pages of sides. And so I, I sort of, uh, I learned them and it was pretty dry dialogue and I was just like, okay, I guess I'm just going to do this. And... You know, I'm nervous that this guy is going to be pissed if I do it wrong. And when I got in there, 
they laughed at my first choice. And I sort of realized like in that moment that it's a funny scene because I was just playing it. Yeah. I was just nervous about screwing it up for my boss. And so I was trying to get the information out of this guy and I was nervous that this, that this guy over here is going to think I did it wrong. And it was so fun when that happened because I, I didn't have time to decide it was funny and ruin it by trying to be funny. I then was just playing it and I was in a groove and I felt in a way like my conscious mind was so clearly the the arbiter of like too much that I uh, so I, I I couldn't trust my conscious mind and had to trust whatever else was happening and uh, it was like an accidental comedy scene and I am you know and now I'm like scared to go, if I get a call back for it um, <laughs> I would be you know and my job then is going to be how do I forget that I now know that the scene is funny and go back to the place of just trying to get my objective. You know, and and stay out of my damn way as a technician. Right. Sorry, I said damn. It's okay. (laughs) Did Lonnie Price curse? Lonnie, did you curse? (laughs) Yeah, I like the way you put that. When I because when I listen to the two of you and not not being a performer myself, it just sounds like the way to succeed is to get the ego out of the way. That's the problem, right? And that when you do improv, that's that is the goal. Like, it has to be the goal. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's, there's a great movie. You guys, have you seen Don't Think Twice? No. Um, it's great. You guys would both love it. It's uh, it, Mike Birbiglia. Um, he's like a storyteller, comedian, and the movie is about an improv troupe in New York and basically how they deal with ego coming in and sort of ruining the sanctity of their banter and their vibe. Um, and the ego is is brought about by success that one of their guys gets basically gets Saturday Night Live, and oh. what that does to the confidence of the group and, and the trust of the group, and how you know it, what's really hard about about show business is that the art is so pure and so delicate, and the business is so impure and so brash, such a bull in a china shop that it's just like it's you know it's a miracle that anything gets done well at all because the the bull is just smashing against this pure little, you know, glass <laughs> unicorn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and how do you keep that safe from, you know, the your third eye or your your ego, your arrogance, your insecurity, whatever, you know, whatever human failing could possibly get in the way of the purity of that. I would love that movie. You will love it. It's great. It's great. Yeah. Um so, so A Little More Live has been described as jazz, folk, pop, rock, <laughs> it, along several different uh, like reviewers and things I looked up oh, before thanks. this. Um, would you describe it as that? Jazz, folk, pop, rock? Jazz, folk, pop, rock. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's basically acoustic pop. Yeah. Um, so I, I equate it to... Sort of Jason Mraz meets Death Cab for Cutie, so cool. it, it's it's definitely um, it, it's definitely groove based, and that's a lot of the stuff that I write. Um, and so it's it's uh, 
it's the kind of stuff that's way harder on a, a, a page of sheet music than it is to actually sort of intuit when you're playing it. And the lead, the lead guy in the show, the opening song was called Pot at a Funeral. And so it's a kid smoking pot downstairs while his family's upstairs mourning the loss of his mom. And it's a very, it's a song that I wanted to feel like he was just sort of freestyling it in that moment and not uh, sort of dress it up too much. But then his his brother, who is younger and is a hedge fund worker in New York, is a much more sort of stoic guy. And so his music is a little bit more like Death Cab for Cutie. It's a little bit more atmospheric and um, and staid. And um, it so the idea is that you sort of watch those two things conflict as these two brothers kind of fight to be the protagonist of the story. And uh, and yeah, I mean. Classifications are tough. Yeah. You know, like, I, I feel like in the, in, even in saying Jason Mraz meets Death Cab for Cutie, like, so there, much more there goes that. my show. And, and, and I, and that's, that's tricky too, because like, you know, not, not to say that I think it's like better or, or more interesting than those two bands, um, cause they're both genius bands, but, but it's, it's that like, I wasn't, when I was making the music, I wasn't trying to be a certain thing. Right. And so I think I probably fit like kind of in between a lot of cracks, which can be complicated for that bull in the china shop of the business to classify clearly. That's why it's such a multi-hyphenated music style, <laughs> well, literally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, – I have a great friend named Damon Dono who is uh, a super talented songwriter and actor and uh, one of the best singers I've ever met. He sounds like Jeff Buckley. And he um, – he said to me once that he's like, I'm not an actor, I'm not a writer, I'm not a musician, I am a guy who does stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was really helpful to me, both in terms of how I spend my time, but also in terms of how I write what I write. Because I'm equally influenced by Aaron Sorkin as I am by Pixar, as I am by Kurosawa, as I am by, you know... Truffaut, like I could say a bunch yeah. of you know lofty names, um, but uh, but there I fall somewhere in between them, and what ends up happening is like somebody else makes the determination of what you what you were doing, and in a way, like I was trying to write Goodwill Hunting the musical, like I was sort of trying to do that, and in the process of trying to do that, I ended up doing something else, which I'm glad about because there is already Goodwill Hunting. Um, but then in the process of writing that new thing that I'm asking the world to classify it in a way that they might not have, you know, an easy sentence for yet. And so I'm just hoping to get better and better and better at doing it so that, you know, much like a lot of people have trouble pronouncing my last name, Blameyer, it looks like, you know, I get like Blymeer, Blarmar, <laughs> and so like in a way I sort of have a, a similar goal with my name that like I want people to be able to pronounce my name for my dad's sake and for, <laughs> um, and for my sake, but it's, it's similar to my, my stuff. I, I want, I want to be able to write something that people, uh, you know, are able to, as I said before, that it, that it affects them in the same way that it affected me to write it. So I'm, I'm getting, I'm, I'm, you said you're learning. I'm very much learning too and trying to figure out how to do that. Yeah, and some of the songs, is it, correct me if I'm wrong, some yeah. of the songs uh, that are on your EP, the ampersand, they're in a little more. Uh, yeah, there's one. There's one of them. Trees. Trees, yeah, which is like the 11 o'clock number. Right. Cool. Go check out the ampersand. 
Yeah, check it out. Bandcamp. Thank you. <laughs> and do you, uh, and do you perform live a lot? Or? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I usually uh, do a show about once a month. Um, it's a you know that's like just another hyphen that like that is sort of uh, you know is 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 somebody else's every day all day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I get pretty overwhelmed by the idea of being a professional musician. Professional artist is like a, just a tough term in general because there's so much to think about artistically. And that's not a, I don't think that's a cop out, uh, in that I, I am, I'm never bored. Um, and I'm, I'm certainly always sort of overwhelmed by how deep this stuff goes and how, if I'm just sitting in a room, just thinking about how to crack a story, I could do that for the rest of my life and not get to the bottom of it. And then when you think about trying to market yourself on top of that, it gets really complicated. And so my band, it, uh, it playing live immediately brings that, the economics of it right to the front um, because you have to fill that room and you have to pay that bar bill and you have to... Uh, get people there who will help you get a booking agent or a tour or whatever else. And that stuff really doesn't uh, interest me like on a guttural level and everything else in my life really does. So while I get a ton out of actually doing the show, getting to the show is really stressful. Um, and, and rehearsing is tough with the band because everyone's busy, but I do love it a lot. Um, we, we, just played a show in Brooklyn, not too far from here, actually. Um, that was it was really fun about a month ago, and now I'm in that place of like, oh, I feel like I should play again, but I'm really obsessed with writing television right now and want to think about that more. So, eh. you know, re- doing the doing the EP was really fun because I was in Chicago doing SpongeBob while I was recording it, and so I would do SpongeBob until 10:30, and then go out to the suburbs and record with my friend Packy in his studio until like 3 a.m. and then sleep till 1 and then go into rehearsal and work on the show. And it was just, I was like creatively. It's a great summer. Oh my God. I was, <laughs> I was just, I was percolating. Yeah. Um, so you're yeah. writing for TV or you have, you've written for a web series called The Next Four Years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and is that still going or uh, is it? We're not sure. We're trying to sort of figure it out. I think there's sort of a standing offer to do another season of something and they're sort of trying to figure out if it's that or if it's something else. I mean, you know, the economics of that are very tricky too because there's a lot of web series. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and that one was, it's a very light show. It's sort of about like how, what's, what's challenging about post college life in New York and trying to get a job in this job market, which is actually not a light topic. No. But, um, but we tried to sort of treat it, uh, you know, with like a, it's going to be okay, but here are some things to watch out for. Um, and, uh, you know, a, a big thing that we didn't see coming with the next four years was the actual next four years. Um, <laughs> and uh, so now everyone thinks it's a Trump show. Um, so, so I'm not sure if we'll do the, uh, do another season of those characters or if we'll try something else, but I do like that format. The, the eight minute format, um, is really fun. And I wrote some songs for that. I I put a musician character in it because I was like, I could find a way to encapsulate these plots if I just do it in the same way that I do in musicals. Um, so I liked that a lot. And then I'm also really enjoying writing sort of long form television, like an hour long written five or six pilots and a bunch of pitches for different, uh, show ideas and 
um, have a call at one of those later today, and so I'm just bouncing wow. around. So nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I bumped into you on Sunday you at, uh, at Sunday. the final performance. <laughs> Sunday, the final performance of Sunday in the Park with George, and it just like occurred to me, like so you were there. You know Annalie from dog doing fight. dog fight, and like it's just such a a wonderful small community, the theater community, yeah. and then even on top of that, the Broadway community. Yeah. And like, do you ever did you was there ever like a moment where you you realized that you were a part of that community and like how cool or special or fun that is? Or that's a really lovely question. Uh, yeah, all the time. Yeah. Um, I take it for granted and I, uh, I wish I was in a different place in it on various days. Um, but I do get overwhelmed by it on other days. And, uh, because it, when I was a kid, it was really all I, I ever wanted to do. And, um, then I got there. And I was still alive and I was still a person who wanted things in a, this sort of future context. And it had really caught up to me in that, in the moment that I, I did my first Broadway show. Um, and I am, I am dumbfounded by the fact that, that I, I, I actually did make a dream of mine come true and that I still admire these people like I'm a fan. I mean, I'm a fan of Annalise and I, I got really emotional watching her up there because she now has a kid Yeah. and, uh, when we were doing dogfight, she wasn't even married and we were off state. We would enter the same side every, um, every night and we stood there and chatted and she was talking about how her, um, her now husband proposed to her, I think it's Six Flags, um, and how she was like, uh, we, you know, I think she had a ring but it was like a decoder ring or something that she was just like, I mean, she's, that's exactly who she is. Yeah. And, uh, and she was so bananas in dogfight and was just such a completely different character than what she was doing in Sunday, which was so, uh, graceful and demure and emotional. And, uh, and I flashed through all of that, uh, at the show and and also seeing you there was was emotional for me too because, you know, I, I think Sunny in the Park is like essentially like Stephen Sondheim's lessons on being an artist, you know, in the in the only form that he knows how to to tell us, and and it's the the best possible form to me. Um, and so you know, I was sort of I got to be caught between my hero Stephen Sondheim. Jake Gyllenhaal, who I think is incredible and an artist who's after, you know, deep and big things and was doing beautiful work up there. And Anna Lee, who I know and love and got to share the experience of Dogfight with, which was emotional and, and big on a different level because my friend Benj, who introduced me to my wife, wrote it. And um, and then you up there, Facebook messaging me, yeah. being like, I'm in town and we're going to go to a podcast because I am intrepid and after getting to the bottom of these things, as uh, post-freshman in college, you're already after these things, and that I know you in this context of being a teacher where I still feel like I'm a student. And so, yes, a big yes to your yes. question. 
Oh, great. Um, now I just have some silly questions. Yeah, um, <laughs> so, do you have like a like a miscast dream role slash a show you'd like want to write about that you think would never work or like a show you'd love to be in that you don't think you'd ever be in? I don't know. It's a yeah. very broad, open question. Oh my God, sure, sure. So many. I've always really wanted to play the Phantom of the Opera. Oh yeah. And I'm never going to play it. And <laughs> I shouldn't. Uh, I don't sing like that. But like, I s- totally sing it in my car. Um, not that I have a car. But uh, <laughs> uh, love that show. Uh, I'm also like half convinced that I could write a really good Batman musical. Oh yeah. Um, there is a Batman musical. There is, right? Holy musical Batman. Yes, yes. From, from Michigan. Michigan, those guys. Yeah. Um, I want to write like a very serious, dark version. Oh. Um, with Danny Elfman. Danny, are you listening? It's time. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll so. Get it to him. I'm yeah, sure. Please, I'm yeah. Sure. Let's get Oingo Boingo back together. So, uh, those are definitely, those are definitely like miscasty things. I mean, I, I think about. Could this be a musical whenever I watch anything that's not already a musical? Um, and even when I'm watching it as a musical, I'm like, could it be a musical in this way? Like, does that work exactly right? What if we did it this way? I mean, I have like, I have song lists and uh, plot breakdowns for how that thing you do would work as a musical for Ferris Bueller, for uh, for Back to the Future, which I believe is becoming a musical. Really? Um yeah, in London, I think they're working on it. And all of them and sort of how, how they would work. And it's like practice for me on some level to like work on structure and trying to figure out how to show work. Super fun. Because you're sort of like, oh, that's the song. Like that's an I want song right there. And, you know, this is how Power of Love would work over the course of the show. And you could, you know. Uh, Do you ever watch movies that have been made into musicals and feel weird that they don't start breaking into songs? Totally. Because- I can't watch Legally Blonde anymore. Being like, uh, we're so much better. Sure, totally. Where's where's where, your um, middle? Where's your Secret act one? Garden is one for me because the Secret Garden I put on, I did in grade eleven. Okay. Um, and who'd you play? Martha. Yeah, that's what I did Martha. Hold on, uh, that's Blake your was uh, Archie. Oh come on. Uh, ben Page was Dickon. Come on. Um, who else? Shannon Smith was in that. She was um. The, the, the headmaster of the school. I want to see that. I want to go back in time. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I have a video. Yes, please. Send it to me with your going over um, So. But yeah, but then you can't, but then so you I can't watch. I watched the movie, and that was one of my favorite childhood movies. Sure. And it was so weird. I was like, where's Lily, Lily's eyes? Yeah. Where, what? No, what are you I. Singing? It's so true. You know, this is a really dorky comment. Okay, yeah. so. I I'm was in, um, like, 10th grade or something, and InSync was big. Uh-huh. They came out with a new album, and I had just seen, I think my first Broadway show, or like the second one I ever saw, was Jekyll and Hyde. Oh, yeah. And there was this song in it called Someone Like You. Yeah. And there was a, a track on InSync's album. It was called Someone Like You, and I was like, oh, my God, they covered Frank Wildhorn. This is so cool. Pop is recognizing musical theater. I'm so excited about that. Was not the same song. No, there's so um, many someone like you. So it's like the most common phrase ever. Either yeah. that or like "Tell me why." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell me why. Um, yeah. Different band, although the same band in many many respects. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I uh, 
I've, I always think about that. I always, I think every, about everything sort of through the lens of musical theater, which is, exactly. you know, really dorky and you know, brings us together. Yes. There you go. Yes. Fine. <laughs> um, do you have any, uh, any moments from performing past that went incredibly wrong? Like, oh just like being on stage and just like, there was nothing to save it. It's just, Entirely, embarrassingly yes. wrong. Yes, so many, sadly. Um, you know, the one that comes to mind actually involves TPAP. Oh, yeah. And, and you were in Canada, I'm sure, at school, but they we did a concert. Do you remember? Oh, the, yeah. Let me try this again. So, um, this is as good a place as I need to remember this story. So, speaking of Legally Blonde. Yes. So, I was 23 when Legally Blonde came to New York and... Uh, I was doing my first Broadway show, uh, Crybaby, and I was writing a, a show at the same time called Glory Days. And so I was like going back and forth, and I just like thought I was just such a big deal. My life was going to be so easy, and look at me go. And uh, I got an audition to go in for the cover of Emmett in oh. the show. And I was like, oh, this is my part. That's the exact next logical I step for me. I would love to see you as Emmett. Thanks. <laughs> um, but so I was like, okay, this is like... This is my destiny. Off I go. I got this. There's a song called Ship in My Shoulder. Yes. And I know all the words. Ten yes. minute long song. Yeah, super long. Yeah. It's essentially a two minute long song with like Dialogue, many breaks. Yeah. yeah. Um, in great orchestrations. And I, uh, there's a big high note at the end. The never can tell. Yeah. And I was not aware of how it worked to sing other music when you're doing an eight show a week run mm. um, on Broadway. It's a thing that no one tells you is that like, it's really hard and you can sing your show, but your voice is starting to get constricted by only singing this one thing over and over and over. So when you try to sing other music, it doesn't come out as easy. And I'm not like an easy tenor. So like, I have to really work, work out uh, my voice in order to do it. And it was allergy season. And I just woke up in the morning and, and did not, half that note and I went into the audition and it was the whole team Barry O'Keefe and Jerry Mitchell and they were like oh yeah look at this guy this nerdy Jew he should do it um, <laughs> and uh, I, I'm like standing there and you know it was like this is going well this is going really well I get to the end of the song you never and I just no sound came out of my mouth on the high note and uh, I you know, was red faced and stopped and, um, and, uh, Larry was like, you have that note, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. he was like, okay, uh, just do it again then do it again. I was like, no, yes, I can do this. I can do this. And, uh, a thing that I've learned since about singing and life is that when, uh, you really want something clenching to get it is not actually the way to get yeah. it. <laughs> um, and so I clenched and a worse sound came out. It was like awesome. a AOL dial up. Um, and, uh, needless to say, I was not in Legally Blonde, the musical, uh, but at, um, let me try again. Let me try that again, which was a concert of embarrassing moments that TPAP threw in New York. I sang the song, yeah. uh, and the note came out of my mouth. And so I feel like I've kind of put that to bed now after telling you the story and singing that, that song, that that embarrassing tale is now sort of finally wrapped with a bow. Awesome. A similar thing happened to me at yeah. TPAP because I had brought a song to TPAP that I'd 
never sung before, really. What song? Like one time, Killer Instinct from Bring It On. Oh, I yeah? I think you were there when I sang it at the end of the... I definitely remember you singing it. Yeah. Um, but the first time I sang yeah, it, you were great at it was uh, with Dave Clemens. Sure. And... Clemens. Yeah. <laughs> and I did not sing any of the, like, it was just, it was the exact same thing. Like, you get to the end. Didn't come out. Killer Instinct is such an easy song right up to the end. Like some crazy note. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah, it turns into Wicked or something, right? Yeah, there's a, um, basically, yeah, she rips up to an E at the end and all that stuff. Oh, my God. Um, and I just... To a certain extent, I was like, yeah, I'm going to feel forward. I've never done this song before. Right. And I know it, and I sing it by myself, but I've never done it for a person. Right. Um, and I decided I would do it, and it was just awful. But then, oh. at the end of T-Pop, I, like, worked it and worked it and worked it, and that, so that was a much shorter time span, but... No, hey, you know same what? Same thing. Yeah, exactly. Mine, mine was 11 years, uh, <laughs> and yours was... Or, nine years, and yours was... Uh, yeah, two, <laughs> that, that 11 days. Um, but that's... Yeah. That's what T-Pop does. Yes, exactly. It truncates your progress. It's a T-Pop thing for you, too. It so was. It was. It definitely connects us. And was there anything that went horribly right? Like, something went wrong, but it was for the better. That might... Maybe not, but... It'd be yeah. fun if there is one. Oh, man. Horribly right. Yeah, like, something you hadn't planned. Okay. I guess that's the story of your audition, where you didn't know it was a Today, comic yeah. Role. Today was really a horribly right. I mean, I, like... That was an interesting moment where I I was sort of like, oh, because a big thing that I, I watch a lot as a teacher it, uh, are students who apologize for their performance or give a disclaimer right. for their performance or stop when something happens. Um, and, I, you know, from the outside, it's like, oh, God, keep going. I'm with you. Like, I don't care. You're a human. You cracked. Who cares? Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Um, but as an actor, I understand the problem. I mean, it really does. It's like a record scratch. You're just like, okay, no, like, like how do I, yeah, rewind, start over. Yeah. Um, and so I've really been trying to take my own advice to heart, which is the hardest part about being a teacher is that you'll say things that you do not do as a, as a performer, uh, to somebody else as if it's a no brainer. And, uh, you know, that's why the cycle of teaching is, I think, so important and also so difficult um, and it, it was, it's been such a huge thing for me to hear myself say things that I, I need to hear. Um, and that's one of them is that is not to give up once, you know, something internally shifts You're, you know, it's amazing when you watch a performance. And I think part of what Broadway, um, does is, is prove to you that all of these people are thinking millions of thoughts besides, the play, mm -hmm. and yet somehow their body and their face and their voice convince you that they're only thinking about the one thing that they're talking about, and that's part of what acting is, that like you're, as we were talking about before, using your subconscious to sort of route this one intention and block out the noise. Um, and and I think as an actor now, whenever I'm in, when I'm in an audience, I am constantly amazed at that because I think I... Definitely in Sunday, I had a moment where I became conscious that I was believing that Jake Gyllenhaal was George Surratt, mm -hmm. and I was like, good job. Good job. Because <laughs> you're Jake Gyllenhaal, you're not George Surratt. Yeah. But I, and even like at that, because I am an actor, I, I 
identified that probably in a weird moment or something, but yeah. it's, I, I love that. Well, I, I love that exact thing too, yeah. because I think we go back and forth between being audience members and technicians. And like thinking about, ooh, what did they do there? That was really good. I'd like to do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> let me add that. Let me add that. Let me get, let me get on that song. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, but then there's also decided that, that like, you know, what, what they're doing is, is trying so hard to make you believe and, and, and make you leave your conscious mind as a watcher in the same way that you do as a doer. And that's, you know, again, that equal thing of, you know, uh, I saw In Transit recently. Oh, yeah. And In Transit was really interesting. I had a bunch of friends in it. And it didn't do well. It closed early. Fellow T-Pop teacher, Margo. Margo, yeah. I saw Margo in it. So, um, and Margo and I talked after. And one of the things that she said that was really frustrating uh, for her is that that, that show is, is entirely sung through. Right. And... A hundred percent of the sounds that are being made are by them, and so the differential between how much effort they're putting out and what the audience felt from it was so big. So the audience was like, "This is just kind of like a silly show about New York," and these people are saying "ooh bop bop bop," and she's like, "I've never done anything harder. You know, I, I have in-ear monitors in my ears. I have to go home after every show. I've never sung." 25 songs every second of 25 songs every day and it's so hard to me that like I'm putting out that much effort and the audience is like this isn't the greatest thing I've ever seen and you know so that is going back to what I was saying earlier about about writing and and and, and uh, trying to write something where the amount that you put into it is what the audience gets mm-hmm. and I felt like that was happening at Sunday where you were just like oh my god like I, I, I'm in France and even when I'm not in France, I'm in a Broadway theater watching these experts take me to France and that you were doing that thing of like, you know, coming in and out of, in and out of being actor and audience member. Yeah. Yeah. It's a portal. Fantastic. Thank you. Oh, do you have something? No, I think it's okay to give Sondheim the last word, right? Yeah. Always okay. Anything you do, (laughs) let it come from you. Give us more to see. (laughs) Um, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me.